I'm going to jump into the word because I'm quickly running out of time. How many are you ready for the word this morning? All right. Would you turn in your Bibles with me to the book of John chapter 14? We're going to begin in verse seven. But before I do this morning, I want to talk to you from the subject, the father heart of God. Turn your neighbor and say the father heart of God. This week, how many, how many know what next weekend is? It's Father's Day, right? And so, if we were, you know, just to be very honest about this subject, Father's Day is a great day for some of us, and for, for others, Father's Day is not a great day. For some, Father's Day, this is one of the most painful times of the year, because unfortunately, you know, and each of us have a, a story that unique to ourselves, unique for your family. Some of you... Some of us have had great and good fathers. Some of us have not been blessed to have the best earthly experience with fathers. How many of you know what I'm talking about there in this room? And so across this room, like I said, we could talk to each and every person and maybe even on that spectrum of between bad and good. Maybe you've experienced something in between that. The bottom line is this, is that it doesn't matter whether we've had a good or bad experience with our earthly fathers, there's a higher principle that all of us need a relationship with our spiritual and heavenly father. Does that make sense? If you are blessed to have a good father, then that is a blessing. But how many of you know that there's a heavenly and fa- heavenly father in heaven who's perfect? doesn't matter. You know, I, I'm so thankful that I had a good father. I tell people oh, I feel blessed because I felt like I was given two fathers. My, my dad and my grandfather, my grandfather, I tell him all the time, I feel, you know, he's like, I feel like God has given me two good fathers, great fathers in my life. But how many know, no matter how good our fathers are, we have a heavenly father who's perfect. Because no matter who you are, there's no such thing as a perfect dad here on earth. Amen. And that's the good news, isn't it? That's the good news is that no matter what our experiences is, experiences, we all need our heavenly father. Amen. And aren't you so glad that God can heal even those wounds for those of us who've had bad experiences, amen? And thank God for father figures, for mentors, for people who step in, amen, for spiritual fathers. How many of you are thankful for spiritual fathers and mothers in our lives, amen? That's what's so good about God. Wherever you've lacked relationship, God will make up for it and give you people in your life. But the truth is this. All of us are destined to know our Heavenly Father. And here's the reality. And this is what I want to speak from today. Without having a relationship with our Heavenly Father, we are all spiritual orphans. And I want to prove it to you. And I I want to talk to you today about the Father heart of God. And about how relating to God as Father changes and shifts everything in our life. Are you ready to receive this morning? Turn with me to the book of John. If you're there, say there. So this is Jesus speaking. John chapter 14. We're going to start in verse 7 and go through verse 11. Jesus said this. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the father and that will be sufficient for us. Jesus said to him, Have I not been with you so long, and yet you have not known me? He who has seen me, this is one of our key texts, he who has seen me has seen the Father. What a a remarkable statement. I'm going to get to that in a second. 
But Jesus says, he who has seen me has seen the father. So how can you say, show me the father? Do you not believe that I am in the father and the father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority. But the father who dwells in me does the works. Believe me that I am in the father and the father is in me or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. This is, this is phenomenal. I, I love this. Here's what's so amazing. When Jesus is walking the earth and, and we get a window into his relationship, the, the title that Jesus uses the most to describe God, not only in his personal interaction, but also to us, is Jesus uses the term and the title Father more than any other title. In the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, he uses the term Father over 65 times. In the Gospel of John, he uses it over 100 times. So Jesus, more than anything, is trying to reveal the Father. He, and he goes so far to say this. He says, if you've seen me, you have seen him. Oh, I'm about to preach. I feel it. I already feel it coming right now. As, as, we, as we say in the church, I feel my help coming right now because I want to help someone see something today. Turn with me to Colossians. Before I preach, Colossians chapter 1 verse 15, this is what Paul says about Christ. Colossians 1 chapter 15, he says this. Jesus, he says, he is the image. Someone say the image. Come on, say it like you had some breakfast. Say image. Unless you're intermittent fasting this morning. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. The, the, the literal translation is icon. Jesus is the icon. He's the image. He's, he's, the, he's the perfect image of God the Father. And so I want to stop real quick and I want to help you. The Godhead is a mystery. For years, we've been trying to attribute theological language to help us understand. But listen, our language and our vocabulary will never be able to encapsulate or capture God perfectly. There's no theological title. There's no theological meaning. There's no even word in our, our vocabulary to describe the Godhead and the mystery of how the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are one being. Amen? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And, and so Jesus, while he's walking the earth, he says this. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Here's, here's what I want us to see this morning. When John's writing his gospel, he makes this remarkable statement. He says, no one has seen God until now. Now, when you read that. You, you know, you want to stop and you want to say, John, you, 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 do you not know your Bible? Right? It sounds like that's, that, it don't make sense because I thought Moses spent 40 days with him at Mount Sinai in the glory. Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 6 said, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. He said he saw who? The Lord. And, and, and all throughout the Old Testament, we see that there were prophets and people who had encounters with God. 
But when you lean in a little closer, you realize that they only got a portion. They got a fraction. They got a, let me, let me use this prayer. They got a down payment on the full revelation that was going to come through the person of Christ. So when John says, no one has seen God until now, what John is saying, any glimpse that you saw of God, anything that you experienced of God, it pales in comparison. And he's saying, it's as if no one has ever seen God because now what we have in Christ is the perfect image and expression. In other words, John is saying this, and if you really think about it, now I want to preach for a few moments. Even Moses in Mount Sinai could not see his face. God said, I'm going to have, I'm going to have all my glory pass in front of you, but you can't see my face. Which, by the way, is really interesting. That's why in the Gospels, when Jesus takes the disciples up onto the mountain of transfiguration, right? Remember, Jesus is unveiled in the glory of the glory that he's containing. Think about that. The glory of God was contained inside of this be, the being of Christ. And, and for a moment, he goes up on the mountain of transfiguration and he, he takes off that veil. And, and, and he begins to transfigure and, and, and transform in front of them. And you remember. But guess what? Interesting. Who shows up? Moses and Elijah. That was the first time Moses ever saw his face. Well, I feel my help. When Moses says, show me your glory, he only saw some of it. That day on the Mount of Transfiguration, he began to see the rest of it. Because Jesus, the glory of God was contained and unveiled in the person of Jesus Christ. And so John says, no one has seen him. And he can say that because it's up until now, it's as if we only had a fragments and pictures. But now in Christ, John is basically saying, now in him, we have the 4K ultra high. The latest version that Best Buy has. We have the clearest picture of who God is in Christ. Let me let me help somebody out right now. If you're looking to understand God outside of anybody else other than Christ, you're looking in the wrong place. You don't need to look any. Do you want to know what God's like? Do you want to know what the Father's like? Do you want to know His attributes? Do you want to know what His personality's like? Do you want to know how He thinks? Look at Jesus, because Jesus said, if you've seen me, you have seen the father. Y'all about to set me loose. And, and here's what's so powerful, though. We, we make this statement all the time, but it's true. We affirm this. This is, this is in not only in scripture, but this is in the apostles creed. This is this has been around in the church for hundreds and thousands of years, we affirm this, that Jesus was fully God and fully man. To deny either one of them would be a heresy. So we have this mystery of God walking the earth. He's fully God, but fully man. But here's what's interesting. So as Jesus is walking the earth, the dynamic that we see unveil is that of a father-son relationship. Am I right? And... Here's what's powerful. Paul tells us later on in the gospel, I mean, in his epistles, he said, even though Jesus was equal to God, he emptied himself and became a man of no reputation. We know that. In other words, Jesus fully took on the human experience and actually allowed himself to, to accept the limitations of humanity. Okay. Until. So Jesus lives his life, the first 30 years of Jesus' life. We need to understand this. Jesus, of course, was excelling in his understanding. We know that by the time he was 12, he was already teaching in the synagogues, which is amazing. But listen, 
Up until Jesus is 30, Jesus is learning and growing in the Lord. But Jesus is not doing any miracles. Jesus is fully God and fully man. But Jesus allowed himself to submit to a process that God had him in. Until we get to an event in Matthew chapter 3. I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 3. We're in verse 16 through 17. Listen to this. When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water. Someone say water. Water Water baptism. And behold, the heavens were open and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting him. That's spirit baptism. We need to understand Jesus didn't have one baptism in the Jordan River. He had two. Water and spirit. Amen. This is why in the chapter after he comes out of that experience and out of the wilderness. He comes out and they quote from the book of Isaiah. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Because in the Jordan that day when Jesus was baptized in water. He comes out of the water. The spirit rested on him from that day forward. Then it says this. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying this is my beloved son. And who I am well pleased. We need to understand something though. Jesus did not become Jesus this day. Jesus was always Jesus. But as the God man. He submitted himself. And and put himself to depend upon the father. And when, when the, the Bible talks about the fullness of time, not only when Jesus was born, but also in Jesus' life. When the time came for Jesus to step into his role as, 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 as our priest and our king, as our Messiah. He goes into the water that day and he, he yields himself to the process. He goes through the waters and he receives the spirit. But listen, this is so important that we often skip over this. We often skip, we, we focus on the baptism. But listen to this. The father speaks that day and affirms his identity and says, this is my son. Jesus, we have no record of any miracles until after this event. That means that Jesus began his ministry, not just with going into the waters of John. Not just with the spirit descending on him like a dove. Jesus didn't start his ministry until he had affirmation from his father. Oh my God. Come on. Someone say we're going after it today. And so here's what we need to see. Even Jesus. Because see I believe. I believe that after this moment, Jesus does everything in ministry and everything, all the miracles. He doesn't necessarily, remember, he never calls upon his God nature to do the miracles. He calls upon his relationship with his father to do them. Did you hear what I just said? When he's, when he's healing the sick, it's, it's, it's in, it is in the context of him being submitted to the father. So Jesus was always God. He could, but he chose to wait and submit to the father. And he said, I don't do anything that I don't see the father doing. In other words, everything that Jesus did was in sonship and in relation to his affection and relationship to his father. Are you with me this morning? And so the first thing I've come to talk to you about two things. There's two shifts. Whenever we start, whenever we start walking in the revelation of God, the father and hear me when I say, I do mean revelation. 
I, it's not enough to know it. I can tell you all day, God, your father, you say, oh, yeah, God. No, there, there comes a moment in your life where the revelation hits your heart. And you know when it happens because you're set free. You know when it happens because instantaneously there begins to be major shifts in your life, right? And I want to talk about the shifts that take place. I want to talk about two things today. The shift that takes place in your relationship with him and the shift that takes place in your identity, okay? Whenever the revelation of God the Father, God your Father, say God my Father, hits your heart, how you interact with God will forever change. There's a moment where, where, where you, you just stop singing and knowing that God loves you to where it's a deep conviction in your heart. When the revelation of God the Father hits you, you actually have this epiphany. Wow, wait, wait a minute. God actually loves me. Okay, I'm, I'm gonna, and what I'm going to do in the next few moments, I'm hoping to dismantle some things that we've picked up from toxic religion, Right? Here's what religion will teach you. Religion will try to teach you that God tolerates you. He doesn't like you. How many of you have ever felt that way? Like God just tolerates me. Some of us don't even know that we approach God that way. God, you tolerate me, but you really don't like me. You know what? God doesn't like you. He loves you. God doesn't just tolerate you. I listen to, I, I, someone needs to hear this this morning. God doesn't just tolerate you. He loves you. Listen, when you come into salvation and he becomes your father, God is not a schizophrenic, emotionally unstable father. He doesn't, he doesn't dismiss you one day. Listen, when you're his, you're his. He loves you. He loves you. He's like, he's like the, remember on Little Rascal, she loves me, she loves me not. No, he's picking a flower and he says, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. He doesn't change his mind. We've got to stop treating. And, and, and sometimes what we do, we don't realize we do it. We project our earthly experiences onto a God that is not like anyone else that we know come on somebody God doesn't just tolerate you he loves you here's an, here's another thing that begins to hit your heart when you understand God the father and remember we're talking about in terms of salvation when you have become saved you are in the beloved God not only lo- loves you and it doesn't just tolerate you he loves you God wants you to spend time with him How many of you know that? How many of you have that place? Maybe you have a time every morning. You wake up or that place you go to. I'm telling you right now, it's not just you that looks forward to going to that place. He loves when you climb into your prayer closet. He loves when, hey, I'm speaking to somebody. I don't know why when I'm preaching, there's a bench in your garden. You spend, you spend every morning with the Lord. Every time you go to that garden, I can feel the anointing. So that's for somebody. That's a personal word. Every time you go to that bench and you spend time for him, it's not you that just goes to that bench looking forward to it. He's waiting. He's there. He's saying, I can't wait for you to come to that bench today i can't wait for you to speak to me today i can't wait for you to spend time with me today (laughs) here's another one you start to realize god doesn't just like for me to spend time with them god actually wants to do good to me god has good things planned for me god thinks good thoughts towards me here's another one god has plans for me You start to understand that God is a good, good father. We used to sing that song, right? You're a good, good father. It's one thing to sing it, but it's another thing to live it. I'll never, I'll never uh, forget the lesson I learned. How many of you have kids or you got grandkids? 
God is so amazing because he will use our relationship with our kids to change our perspective and our relationship with him. And I'll never forget when me and my wife were having our daughter, Mila, it was getting close to time for her to be born. And we were getting her room ready. And, uh, and women, they call that thing uh, nesting. You know what I'm talking about? Like there's this, there's a point a woman gets where she wants everything in order. Like it's like that mother instinct kicks in. And my wife was like, listen, I want this room done. So she has everything she needs. And I'm like, yes, ma'am. So she's like, we need this. We need to order a, a crib. We need to order a changing table. We need, uh, you know, the diaper genies. We need, we need, uh, you know, all this stuff. And I'm like, wow, I didn't know babies were this expensive, but, um, no, no, but, but, but seriously, I remember there was a moment when we had to order her furniture and, and I was like, because see, you're either wired as a spender or a saver, right? Usually. I'm wired as a saver. That's just how I'm, I'm wired. But I, I remember just in that moment, there was like this shift in me where I was like, you know what? Order the best dresser. Order her the best crib. Like, seriously, I was like, I, I was like, I don't even care. I mean, I care, but you know what I mean? Like, like. I, God, I trust, trust me, I'm not balling like that, but y'all know what I mean. Like, like I, I wish, you know. No, but seriously, there's this thing that came in me. It was like this father thing, like get her the best. I don't even care about my bed. Get her the best bed. And that week I read the scripture where Jesus addressing the crowd. He said, if you being wicked know how to give good gifts to your kids, how much more your heavenly father and I started realizing, no, I mean, it just hit my heart. I started realizing that the, the joy that I was experiencing, that I get to buy her something, the joy that began to, this pride, this thing inside of me, this like, I, I, I'm looking forward to taking care of you. I want to give you the best. And I realized that no matter how much I experienced that, the Bible says that he's 10 times more. He's a hundred times more than that. Jesus said, if you being wicked know how to give good gifts, how much more your heavenly father. Now, now don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying he becomes the genie that we rub and and we get to no but what he's saying is no i actually want to give you good gifts in fact the bible says every perfect gift comes from above there's that shift that begins to take place in your heart and what it does is it removes you out of religion because see what religion does is it gives you all the information about god But what this does is it shifts you into a place where you're far beyond just information. You're far, you're far beyond just quoting the scripture. There's been a heart connection. There's been a spirit move inside of your being where you no longer just read it. It's actually a reality to where you relate to God as your Abba, as your father. It's not no longer just a theological expression. It's not just something that's written in the Bible. It's a reality that you experience. How many of you know what I'm talking about in this? place but before sonship I want you to see this okay and I gotta hurry are you guys with me this morning before sonship is even like before because see the day you got saved you actually became a son and a daughter of God but listen before we study and know everything about sonship which I love I believe you can't even understand sonship until you know the father Around that time Mila was being born, I remember I began to prepare my heart to be a dad because I began to feel the weight of it. Like, wow, I mean, being a parent 
is such a big responsibility. I'm like, wow, we're, we're, we're going to be given this beautiful gift. And my job is to nurture and help cultivate the destiny on her life. Because ultimately, she's mine, but ultimately, she belongs to him. And God is trusting me. And I remember telling God, like, God, can you teach me how to be a good father? And I'll never forget what he taught me. He said, okay, if you want to be a good father, learn how to be a son. In other words, he was telling me, listen, I'm your perfect father. I'm your father. I, let me father you. You be a son. Because see, no matter how long we've been saved, there are areas of our life that God's still wanting to get into. There are, there are, there are dimensions in relationship. There are areas in your life where you, and, and, and see, that's what, uh, I'm going to get to that in a second, but that's what's so bad. And that's what religion does so well. It keeps you close enough just to know them, but not really to go past the point where there's true intimacy and fellowship on different levels. And one of that is a father son. And and understand when I say son, ladies, I'm talking about you because when the Bible talks about our sonship, it's talking about our position in Christ, sons and daughters. And I'll never forget. God said, listen, let me father you. And that's where I began to read all these scriptures. Like when Jesus would say, if you being wicked, don't you love how Jesus would like, like kind of in a subtle way, kind of insult him, but also hit him with some truth. Like you, you're wicked and you're still good parents sometimes. And you give good gifts. God's way better than that. So I began to be like, wow, like, like, and so as God began to father me at a deeper level. I've been walking with the Lord a long time. I want to, I want to, I want to tell you this morning, don't ever let, don't ever throw up how many years you've been saved. Don't ever throw up in his face how many years you've been going to church. I don't care what ministries you served in or what you've done for God. Don't ever get to the place where you feel like you've learned everything or you've reached the pinnacle. Trust me when I tell you, we are going to be growing in this revelation and this understanding. We've got to come to God like children, Jesus said. Children don't come and say, I know everything. I know children come and say, hey, Papa, I just want to spend some time with you. What do you want to teach me today? What do you want to show me today? We've got to have childlike faith. We've got to, we've got to learn, you know, God doesn't want you to act childish, but he wants you to, he wants you to mature, but he wants you to always have that childlike heart and that childlike faith that always depends upon him. And I promise you that if you'll approach your relationship like Abba, today I'm dependent upon you for everything. Thank you, Father, that that you're going to supply all of my needs according. If you start approaching every day like it's not just your Father is actually in this thing with you, trust me, God will always have something to show you. How many know what I'm talking about? So it shifts your relationship with Him. But here's the other thing it it does, and I got to hurry. Can I have five more minutes? Or seven. Well, I'm just kidding. So the other thing that it shifts is the father will shift your identity. Did you know that when you don't operate in a revelation of God as father, you will operate out of an orphan spirit? I'll prove it to you. John chapter 14. Uh, This is Jesus. So if if you don't like that Jesus calls us orphans, you can take it up with him. He said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. Listen, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he dwells with you and will soon be in you. Listen, Jesus said, I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you.
What Jesus is saying is this. Only I can reveal the father. So Jesus said, I'm going away. So if I'm going away, guess what that means? You're orphans again because you have no way of knowing the father. You have no way of knowing it's like, but he says, I got, I don't worry. We got a plan. We're going to send you the helper, the spirit of truth, the Holy spirit. Who's do you understand that the Holy spirit inside of you is inside of you and present with God right now at the exact same time. And guess what? Guess what the Holy spirit's repeating It's he's, he's repeating what he's hearing. And so Jesus said, I'm going to send you the helper, the Holy Spirit. And he says, and I will not leave you orphans. Romans chapter eight, turn with me real quick. Verse 15, every single Christian should love the eighth chapter of Romans. Incredible. This is what the apostle Paul says in Romans 8, 15. Listen, for you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. You received the spirit of adoption. By whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. That's where you amen right there. That's good news. And if children then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. One more verse. Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. It says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman under the law, to redeem those who were under it, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because... You are sons. This is the Apostle Paul writing. Because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. That means this. That when Jesus is praying in the garden of Gethsemane and he cries out, Abba, he's the only person on earth that can, that can know God as Abba. Because you know why? He's the only begotten capital S son of God. But through the gospel, as part of our inheritance, you can know him as Abba for yourself. Because sonship, see, that's what's so amazing about salvation. So often we have, we have, we have thought so low of salvation. Salvation is so much more. Thank God we've been forgiven. Thank God he separates our sins from the east to the west. Thank God that we've been, we've been, the slate has been wiped clean. Thank God that we are a new creation in Christ Jesus. But I need you to hear me today that when you got saved, you got more than just your past forgiven. You got more than just a slate wiped clean. You got something way, 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 way better. You became a new creation in Christ Jesus. But listen to me. You actually got adopted. I don't know. Some of you never even knew you were adopted. You didn't even know that. And it's hitting your heart today. God adopted you. When you got saved, you got more than just your past forgiven. You got a future and you got a father who's now claimed you. He said, when you've received the spirit in your life, it says the spirit comes inside. It says the spirit in you bears witness with the spirit of God that you are his, that we are children of God because of our position in Christ Jesus. And so what he does is, oh God, I'm out of time. What he does is why this is so important 
Because when we begin to relate to God as father, he begins to heal the orphan spirit in us. And the thing is, I got to go through this super fast. We all need to do this from time to time. When we take inventory of our life, you can always tell when you're operating out of sonship or an orphan spirit. See, because orphans don't know that they're loved. They're constantly trying to earn it. So in your life, you ever find yourself where you're, 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 you're always trying to earn affection from God and earn affection from people? It's ultimately gets to the root of it. You don't believe that you're loved. That's an orphan spirit. The orphan spirit will cause a, a insecurity because there's a lack of affirmation and there's a lack of your belief in your own identity. Amen. Here's another one. The orphan spirit will produce a performance mentality in us. As long as I perform, I'll be loved. Oh, I'm preaching better than some of you. Some, this is where some of us live. Some of us say, as long as I'm operating in my gift, as long as I'm functioning at my best, as long as I'm always on, if I perform for my family and I do this, then, then they'll love me. Then I'm loved. If I, if I perform for God, if I serve in that ministry, then he'll love me. If I do this, then he'll... No, listen, that's a performance mentality. Jesus didn't, Jesus didn't earn the love of the Father. He didn't do anything in ministry to get the love of the Father. In fact, Jesus didn't even do anything in ministry until the Father affirmed that he loved him here's another one comparison does anyone struggle with this I've struggled I know from time to time we all struggle with this especially in the social media age no one shows you their real life they throw up their highlight reel and you scroll through there and you're comparing your you start you start you don't know why but you start to feel like you lack something and you start to compare yourself and so you know why it's because you don't know who you really are because listen if you know who you were in God's eyes if you knew who you were you wouldn't want to be anybody else you wouldn't want to you wouldn't want to be that person you wouldn't want to be that you wouldn't want that because if you knew who you were Here's another one. The orphan spirit is competitive. And I don't mean competitive in the healthy way. Competition is good in sports. Competition is good in business, right? When it's healthy. For, to help us perform, like in a sport, or to help us master a craft. Nothing wrong with healthy competition. But if we operate in an orphan spirit, then we are constantly competing with everyone else because we have to constantly prove ourselves. See, when you, when you have an orphan spirit, it's hard to compliment someone else's greatness because you don't believe there's greatness in you. When you have an orphan spirit, it's hard for you to appreciate and, and nurture other people's gifts. Or Why? Because then it all becomes about you. Why? Because you're not convinced. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever been around someone like that? Or have you ever been that person where everything's about you, can't compliment anyone, it's all criticism, everything's a competition, jock for position, all that? Why? Because there's something inside of us that causes us to live that way. Because we're trying to earn something and get something that only comes through relationship with the Father. I'm going to hit two more and I'm done. The orphan spirit will, will cause you to be self-reliant in a bad way. How many know we should be responsible with our choices and actions? I mean, God doesn't want us to be lazy at all. No, no absolutely not. But understand this. If Jesus modeled to us what it looks like to interact with the Father, Jesus modeled a, a lifestyle of dependency upon God. But if we operate out of orphan spirit, 
we, we have that mentality that it's just us. We don't have anybody. We, we got to fend for ourselves, right? It, it's, all, it's all based upon what I do. I mean, some of us have seen those movies like Annie and the other ones. When you look at the kids in the orphanage, they're always competing. They're always fighting. Why? Because you know what? Because if you have an orphan spirit, you, what you're not getting in relationship, you're trying to earn. You're trying to get. And even sometimes we get it by making uh, ourselves reliant upon ourselves when how many you know that's not a good place to be? I don't think any of us would accuse Jesus of being weak or insecure or anything. And Jesus was dependent upon the Father so much so he said, I don't do anything outside of him. And, you know, this self-reliance thing, it's a big part of our culture. And it's good because, you know, we're big believers in doing it. And that's great. Do. Make good choices. But understand this, that if you're going to function how you're created to function, that God actually wants to be your father. He actually doesn't mind you relying upon him. He doesn't mind you coming to him every single morning and saying, God, today, I'll tell you what, I could try to do this without you, but I don't even want to try to do this. I can do, there's no good thing in me but you, Father. There's nothing I can do outside of you, I'll tell you what if you start your day like that it will change and revolutionize the outcomes in your life and this is what religion will do though and i'm closing if i could have our uh, worship team come religion produces orphans because what it does is it, it gives people enough information about god but god is not interested in that god actually wants to bring us into revelation of god the father he wants to shift the way we relate to him He wants to shift the way we understand our identity and think about it like this. If even Jesus had to wait to begin his ministry for the father to speak over him, how much more do me and you need God to speak over us? That that we don't have to do what we do in life to earn love, to receive love, or to get a relationship with God. No, we start from that place. We start from acceptance. We start from love. We start from affirmation. Jesus gets up from that place and he begins to heal the sick and cast out demons and do all the incredible things he does. But he does it from the Father's affirmation. And you know what? You know what's so crazy about all this? All of this sounds too good to be true. Jesus invites us through the cross, through the blood. He invites us into sonship, right? He invites us to have a relationship with God. And you know what's so crazy is when you really sit back and think about, about it, it's, it, it, it's so good. It's too good to be true. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You ever sit back and think about the gospel and you think, wow, it's too good to be true. If you've never sat back and said, man, this is too good to be true, you don't know the true gospel. The true gospel is so good, it should make you sit back and say, oh my God, what did I do to deserve this? What did I do? How did I get this position in Christ? How did I get these benefits? How do I get access? How did I get access to a holy God? How did I get to come before his throne? How do I get to make requests? How do I get to call him Abba? How do I get to know him this way? How do I get to, to function this way? And you know where it's best demonstrated? It's in a place that we don't often think about. How many of you remember the story of Jesus and Barabbas? How many remember that story? I remember one day I was, I was reading that story. I need, I need some keys behind me. I remember I was reading that story. And I was watching. I was looking at the scriptures. And I'm reading that, that super famous scripture. Jesus and Barabbas is standing right there. And remember Pilate? Pilate says, hey, I'm going to release somebody. You have Jesus. And we got this criminal. 
right? Barabbas, you know, kind of like represents the worst, right? In this story. Murderer, robber, thief. And remember, Pilate is being political. He doesn't want to kill Jesus. Pilate even says, I find no fault with him. The Jews demanded his death. So Pilate's shrewd. He goes, okay, surely if I give them a choice between Barabbas or Jesus, they'll choose Jesus. Right? But what does he say? They said, no, give us Barabbas. You know, the two things that crucified Jesus was the religious spirit and the political spirit. The Jews wanted, called for his death. Pilate agreed to it because he knew that if he didn't kill Jesus, the Jews would revolt and Caesar would blame him. So, given the choice between the son of God and a murderer, the crowd chose the murderer. Am I right? Here's what's so fascinating. I stared at it one day. You have Jesus, the son of the father, right? only begotten son and you have a criminal named Barabbas and I looked at his name and I thought what does Barabbas mean two words Bar Abbas that word Bar it means son of so you'll see it all in the New Testament blessed are you Simon Bar Jonah remember that he's saying blessed are you son of Jonah okay so Bar means son of Okay, Abba, Barabbas, Abbas. His name means son of the father. See the prophetic symbolism here? You have the true son of the father in Jesus, in chains, and he's beaten. And you have Barabbas, and I don't believe there's any coincidences in scripture. His name means son of the father. Barabbas represents all of humanity who's destined the name over us. See, when God created the name over you is son of the father. Even when you weren't living like it, even when you didn't know it. So you have capital S son, lowercase s son right here. And what it represents is this. When you look at all the benefits that we get in sonship, it's amazing because we don't deserve any of them. Like today, I'm saying certain things and sometimes it's even hard for you to swallow. Like, I don't accept that. Like, it, it's hard for me to believe that God loves me. He, I feel like he tolerates me. Like sometimes it's hard for us to even accept things because we've been so conditioned that God is against us. And we say, how can the gospel be so good? I, when I get saved, I get a father. I get to call on Abba. I get to, I get to live as a son. I, this is too good. And you're exactly right. Because what happened in that illustration is Jesus said, treat me like Barabbas deserves so that Barabbas can be treated like I deserve. And that's what Jesus did. When he goes to the cross, he says, treat me like everyone else deserves. That day, you know, we used to sing that song. It should have been me. I was the one. Not God's only son. Right? We all know that Jesus should have been set free that day. But Jesus took the bondage for us so that we could be free. And that's what Paul said. He says, 
you're now sons you're no longer slaves you're free because what of what Christ Jesus has done for us I want you to stand with me across the building how many of you are thankful for the gospel this morning How many of you are so thankful that you're a son and a daughter of the Most High God? And listen, really quick, just stick with me and we're going to dismiss. Stick with me for two more minutes. We're going to pray. This can be a very painful week for a lot of people. But you know what? I'm going to pray in a second. I'm going to pray not only in the natural that there be healing, there be reconciliation, there be, there be things even in the natural. But here's what I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray leading up to Father's Day. That this would be a week of sweetness. Someone say sweetness. With you and the Father. So where God begins to take you deeper into his heart. To reveal his God the Father heart for you. Someone say for me. Come on, say it like you had breakfast this morning. Say for me. But before we do that, I'm going to pray over everyone. I want everyone to lift their hands. But before we do that, I want to pray for those who are here and who are watching by camera. Who don't have a relationship with them. Don't have, have not yet received salvation. That don't have a relationship with God. With every head bowed and every eye closed. If that's you and you want that, I want you just to slip up and wave at me. Wave at me. I see you. If you're watching, we want you to comment. You're going to pray this prayer with me, but we also want you to comment below. Every hand lifted. Let's just pray this together, and then I'm going to pray over all of us. Dear Heavenly Father, come on, dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for the goodness of the gospel. Father, I recognize that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. Would you save me this morning? Would you fill me with your precious spirit? Would you teach me what it means to be a son and what it means to be a daughter? Would you be my Lord? Would you be my father?